Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome back to episode 15 of Two Goalies, One Mike. I am Dwayne for Cully. Unfortunately, Cully could not be here. Uh, reached out to me this morning. He's feeling under the weather. So uh, with everything that's going on, we didn't think it was a smart move to uh, have him get up out of bed and uh, do this uh, episode with us. So I brought on with us none other than Ty B from Trainwreck. Ty, how the hell are you? Doing good. Trying to stay uh, a little busy here in quarantine. Got some Bundesliga soccer on in the background. Got some beers going. So, you know, we're trying to do the best, trying to make the most out of uh, what's sort of a bad situation. You got any action on that game? Uh, yeah, we're going second half. I need Leverkusen to get me a goal or two here. <laughs> Man, I never thought that, like, you know, you're resorting to betting on soccer right now. And I love soccer, don't get me wrong, but I, that's not my go-to sport. When oh, no, soccer is one of my bread and butters when it comes to betting. Is I, it? I always end up losing in, like, the 95th minute. But, I mean, there's nothing <laughs> better than the thrill of getting to that moment, you know? Oh, all right, man. It's uh, hopefully, like I said, uh, we got a lot of news coming out of the NHL that they're working on some type of 24 team uh, playoff system. Uh, of course, Buffalo's left out of it right now, um, <laughs> but it is what it is. Um, but uh, hopefully, we'll have we have a UFC live back on again. Um, so we're slowly but surely sports are starting to come back uh, into our lives, and um, you know we'll see what happens. But uh, big episode today. I have. Former Buffalo Sabre, um, Michigan University alumni, uh, folklore legend in Buffalo for his infamous fight with, with uh, the uh, NHL goalie tough guy, Garth Snow. Uh, I didn't realize he had a couple other tilted some goalies out there, too. We have uh, Steve Shields on the show, former Calder Cup winner with Rochester back in 1996. Um, Steve, how are you? Gentlemen. I'm like everybody else, stuck in quarantine. <laughs> Try yeah, to uh, do the best I can with it. <clears throat> how, where, are you, where are you posted up right now? Like, uh, wh- like, how are you keeping busy? Well, I'm in Ann Arbor, Michigan, where I work with the University of Michigan hockey team. So I'm back here. And, uh, you know, last we were on, we were just getting into our playoffs uh, in the Big Ten, and everything got cut short. So you know, the, the kids, the student athletes, you know, were, you know, when the school closed, they all went home and the staff were here in town and, you know, grinding away, trying to do the best we can to stay in touch with the players, uh, you know, keep tabs, uh, you know, stay connected to them uh, and, you know, just hanging out around the house like everybody else waiting to go yeah, back man. to work. Yeah, man. Um, I'm, I'm considered an essential employee myself, so I still am working. Yeah. I uh, work for a, a local beverage distributor uh, for contractual reasons. I, I, it blows my mind. I'm not even allowed to say their name when it comes to media, which makes no sense. Right. Rhymes, but it does rhyme with Schmepsy. If you want to try to put those pieces together. <laughs> right. Um, but, essential. Uh, we got, essential. Yes, we are essential. And uh, we, uh, we got a big week for us coming up here with Memorial Day. We're not really too sure what to expect with all, everything that's going on, how people are going to react. I personally think it's going to be off the wall busy. 
Um, people are going to either drink or cook out, you know, with respect to social distance. I actually yeah. live off the water. I live off the water. I don't know if you remember the area much, Steve. But, yeah, absolutely. Um, do you remember, do you ever hear of a place called Mississippi Muds? Do you remember that place at all? It's uh, in Tonawanda off the water, Night River. Establishment? Old Man River. Yeah. Yeah. Food establishment. Yes. Okay. Yeah, yes, yes. Uh, I live up the street from there. And uh, so it's, it's really hopping down here in the summer because it's the water is right here. Um, yeah. And right. every time for the past month, anytime the weather's been nice on the weekends, I have hundreds and hundreds of people in the parking lots right along the water, all tailgating, oh, yeah, all I tailgating bet. along the water, you know, drinking, yeah. cooking out with, with, uh, with grills. It's wild, man. So I think if we get the weather, I think things are going to be busy down here. So we'll see well, what happens. Well, that's as much as people are trying to be careful. I think it's really at this point, we're two months in. I feel for anybody who's, you know, sitting around the house and just going stir crazy at some point, you know, people I can see, you know, I can tell some people want to make a break for it, but you know, the best we yeah. can do stay at home until exactly, you know, until we're told otherwise it's tough though. It's very hard, especially now that the good weather's here. I know it's hard it for is. our guys on the team. You know, we're supposed to be adults and it's hard to stay at home, you yeah. know, and, yeah. and, you know, and live by the rules, but it's a necessity right now. Uh, actually Ty can speak to that being stir crazy. <laughs> you know, uh, Ty, how, how are you holding up right now? Uh, yeah, it's tough. Like you're, you know, young, single in your twenties and like, you want to be going out hanging out with your friends, doing whatever. And you, I'm right. sure you have a ton of guys like that on your team. Um, I know it's tough for me. Can you speak to what that's like a little bit right now? You know, being in correspondence with some of those players, you know, trying to make sure they're doing the right things um, for themselves off the ice so that they're ready, you know, when everything's lifted while also, you know, trying to be safe as well. Yeah, it, and it's tough. And for the, the guys, and I find it especially hard for the group of guys that are graduating, that all of a sudden that we're going into their last playoff run uh, as college athletes and have that taken away from them. And, you know, and their last month or two months of being a college student, just to have that taken, I think is, you know, it's, got, it's very, very difficult for them. Uh, you know, because it's still they're in the same position they were two months ago when all this got called is that, you know, they're sitting at home, not a lot of answers. Their graduation's gone. The last playoffs they'll ever be in is gone as as at college athletes. And it's it's difficult. And now you roll ahead a few months and the guys that are, you know, that are current players, you know, they all want to get after it. I think there's that innate feeling within guys that, you know, I think driven athletes that are driven they're always feeling like they need to be doing more uh and especially now where it's hard to understand that nobody's really doing anything and you know and i hear from the guys and there's you know where we get to the point where you know it does become very tough for guys there's only so much you can do to check in with guys and you know make them feel like you know there's a light at the end of the tunnel i i, I mean i feel for them but i am you know I'm very proud of the guys because I think back to when I'm in my early 20s, if I really wasn't seeing the, the disease or the sickness out there, which a lot of these guys don't see it, they're not exposed to it, I could understand why it would be very hard to sit around the house. But you have to. Yep. I uh, fully agree, man. And like I said, I'm out there in the thick of it, uh, you know, with my job. And um, it, it becomes a, a harsh realization when you're out there and 
you, I, I've been saying it constantly. I can control what I can control being out there working. I wear my mask, wear my gloves, stuff like that. Um, but I can't control what other people do. And that's the scary part of it is because I can't control somebody coughing in my direction or touching me or anything like that. Like, you know, like, you know, that that's completely out of my control. And yeah. um, it's just unfortunate. And at some points, um, you know, I just wish other people would take this as seriously as us three are because uh, especially from a government standpoint, because it's always so back and forth with, it, it's kind of confusing right now to <laughs> see, right. You know, mm-hmm. you know I, 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 I pay attention. Uh, obviously I, I agree with a lot of your politics, Steve, a lot of your politics and uh, um, not uh, as I mean, me and Cully have a rule, no politics on the show, but I will say this. Um, I really think our government needs to get a hundred percent on board with, you know, what me and you are talking about me you and me and Ty have talked about before is writing this thing out and just, I, you know, just let's stay inside. Just, I know people sure. have jobs to go back to and they have a livelihood and, and whatnot. And, uh, yeah. but at the end of the day, what's more important, you and your family's health or that, you know, and I agree. And I look at it, you know, and I, the only people I ever take issue with are my representatives in government. And mm-hmm. I want to be told the truth and, you know, I can deal with somebody who's left wing. I can deal with somebody who's right wing. Uh, your politics really doesn't bother me. What bothers me is the lying uh, and, and not being truthful on both sides. I don't care who yeah, it is. Uh, you know, there's a bunch of things that I have issues with and, and none of it's ever the people. I mean, I want the people to get information and I want us to believe that our politicians aren't corrupted. And I think yeah, that very, right now very, in this environment, there's just no trust that these people aren't corrupted in some sense. And agreed because it's only obvious that things are being done, not in the best interest of all of us. And that's, I think a lot of the frustration that I see are with people that I probably agree with 95% of the time. And it's all driven from somebody else's desire to, you know, to get something they want. And that's where I think as a society, you know, in a situation like this, it's it, it's pretty obvious what happens when a society is not on the same page or people are getting different information and making decisions from it. It's, it's scary. My mother looks at us from northern Ontario sometimes and I'll get calls and she'll be like, what are you doing? I'm like, what do you mean? In America, what's going on? Like, it's me. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Where, yeah. And she's scared and it's just... I think it's very eye-opening and, and it just, you know, you, you can see where people right now are at the end of their rope and where there's a lot of people that just, they're, they've got a lack of patience for each other. And, you know, when I'm around the house, I have, a, I have less patience now than I did two months ago. So you can imagine <laughs> what happens with people you don't know or that you can, you know, stick and move with out on Twitter or on social media. It's just a crazy place right now. Yeah, it seems like everybody on social media is somehow all of a sudden uh, some type of expert on pandemics. <laughs> right. You know, it's just like I have the first clue of what's going on. All I know is that there are a lot of people being reported sick and dying, and I don't want to be one of them. I don't want the people close to me to be one of them. And whatever I have to do to avoid that happening. And like I said, I haven't seen my grandparents in months. I haven't, you know, I barely see my parents. Um, I, w- I would love to drive out and see my nephew or godson. I haven't seen them yeah. in months. It, it, but it's, if it's what I got to do for their safety, my own, and everybody else's, that's what I have to do, you know. And 
Um, I just wish everybody as a whole would be on board with yep. that and just instead of being so ignorant about it. Yeah. It's like, we all want sports back. We all want the same thing in the long run. Yep. So it's like, if we make those sacrifices now, we can get it all back in a better way. Mm-hmm. Um, come fall, if not, you know, we're going to get a second wave and things are going to fall apart, but we got to look, you know, towards the fall, looking towards, you know, what's coming up in Ann Arbor with the team next year. How are things sort of going on the recruiting front with everything going on? I know, in certain sports, they're really utilizing Zoom meetings for, you know, talking to the recruits. I don't know how much contact you have um, being mainly yeah. with goalies, but, you know, can you speak on that one a little bit? Well, and yeah, and especially now we do, you know, we probably, we don't do probably as much as some of the other teams that I've heard about or that I see on social media, but we have a, you know, we have a team meeting at least once a week. Uh, and, you know, to me, it's, it's hard to jump all in right at this moment in terms of hockey, just because if we were going through a regular year, this would be the downtime. So the guys were really ramped up going into playoffs and then this goes down and we start meeting online. Well, there's gotta be a point where we just let the guys be and have some time. Now Mm -hmm. we're sort of ramping up into more just general. We'll have some alumni on, uh, last week, we had David Oliver, who's an assistant coach with the Rangers, came on with our forwards. And Mike Van Ryan, who's a coach with St. Louis, came on with our D uh, and shared some great information about what, you know, training in the NHL and how guys work on their game and, you know, what's going on now in this downtime. But we definitely like to, you know, we need to stay connected to the guys and need to make them feel like, you know, not all is lost and there's going to be plenty of time coming up to to get your game to where you want it to be and it's just a matter of you know making those connections and getting to know guys a little bit more now where we otherwise would miss that chance and it's just good to be able to do that now and like everybody else says you just got to take the positives you know where you can and right now there's not that many it's it's it sucks man um Again, I can't imagine, like you mentioned earlier too, it really sucks for the guys who are in their, their senior year or especially juniors last year of eligibility. I touched on this with uh, my co-host Cully and you know, he coached out of Pittsburgh and um, he said, you know, it's not fair. I mean, it's not fair, but it's, it's out of their control. Some of these kids who are in their last year of eligibility for yeah. juniors and not being able to, um, you know, you know, see things out and finish things out and, you know, go right to the end. And it it sucks, man. It it sucks. I feel, you know, um, you know, I see like a lot of kids that I coach, um, you know, I coached eight, uh, nine nine years of high school hockey. And um, some of the kids that were juniors uh, the previous year, because this is my first year not coaching the team, now they're they're sophomores. Sorry, they're, now they're now they're uh, they're their senior years are there's so much uncertainty. It's it's not fair, but again, it's not it's not like it's in anybody's control. It sucks. It really does suck, and I, I can't imagine how hard it is, uh, at least at the NHL level and even the college level, how it is how hard it is right now, not being able to physically go see players, interview face to face. How hard it is to scout right now because I mean, you know, your hands are tied. You can't you can't. Uh, you know, be there in the rinks, can't be there with them face-to-face talking to them. Everything's kind of, you know, yeah. relegated to what we, you, us three are doing right now is on Zoom or some type of a video platform. 
a lot of video. There's scouts that I know that are NHL scouts that do a ton of work, and now would be their busiest time getting prepared for the draft. And a lot of, you know, guys that are our age and older now having to learn how to do all their scouting on video, which, you know, to me would be impossible when you're trying to find things that would differentiate guys. You really can't pick a lot of that up on video. So, you mm -hmm. know, a lot of emptiness around the world right now, you know. But it's yeah. and it's interesting. Like the whole world is in the same mindset right now, and it's just yeah. it's one of those times where, as much as you feel what you feel, you know there's a greater good. And you know if you if you know if our guys can just stay focused on the fact that if we do everything right right now, maybe there will be football season, maybe there will be hockey season, and mm -hmm. you know maybe we can get back to some normalcy at at some point, but. You know, the last thing we can afford to do right now is sort of half-ass it both ways. And then we're just in this perpetual state of it being dangerous and, you know, and our economy's not doing well and there's no sports. And it's, I think, just a decision that people have made. And, you know, now we just got to stick it out now and get back to, you know, what we can do. But to me, the fall is is a great way to, you know, to target a goal that, you know, everybody can be in line with you know which is getting back to school getting on with sports mm -hmm. you know ultimately if the sports leagues are going that's good for everybody because it's you know they can't the rest of the world won't be far behind mm -hmm. they actually uh i mean i'm just a a beer league hero now um playing men's <laughs> yeah. league and uh, we they all just are. actually yeah <laughs> i just uh they just canceled our summer session uh two days ago which is very disappointing they just brand new I just bought a brand new set of pillows, uh, some warrior rituals on uh, all black. Yeah. And I'm just so disappointed. I'm like, Oh man, like I, I, I knew they were probably going to cancel it, but the deal I got on them where I, I couldn't pass up on it. So, um, but now I'm just sitting here staring at these brand new pads and just looking at them all the time. It's like, I want to wear them. I want to get out there and play so yeah. bad. It, it sucks, man. But it is what it is, man. I, were, they a deal? were they on sale? Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the, the Facebook page, uh, GGSU. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, they, they still, there's a lot of equipment on sale there. A guy used them a handful of times, um, was just looking to make some money. He had another set of pads that I'm like, well, I can't say no for a pair of $800 pads for $500. So oh. I, I just went, bought them immediately. Right. For You'd be losing money if you didn't get them. Exactly. You know, and, yeah. uh, I got the glove for Christmas. All I need is the blocker now. Obviously right now there's no rush to get the blocker. So I'm not really too worried about it. But yeah. uh, it really goes good with the color scheme of my uh, my my team. Uh, have, are you familiar with uh, with old school '90s wrestling at all? I mean, I don't know. You know Run something the, by me. Well, the Heart Foundation. Oh, okay. <laughs> pink right. and black. Yeah. Well, our team name is our team name is the Heart Foundation, so we're all pink and black. It was, uh, I'm a big mark. I'm actually wearing my uh, Kevin Owens shirt right now. Um, oh, okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, so I said, man, that's a cool color scheme. Our logo is pretty dope. And uh, so I got the all black and then the metallic pink cage uh, on, my, on, my, on my cage for my helmet in black too. So I'm pretty pumped to, you know, to finally unveil all this once we get yeah. back on the ice. But whenever that is. Well, your goal has um, got to be the fall too, I guess. Yeah. Right now it looks like it, man. You know, um, they they weren't hesitant to cancel the season though that's for sure. I know Ty Ty Ty, Ty is a coach 
for a men's league team in our league too for a, a team called the Justition team. He's a head coach. Really? I've, I've oh, never yeah. seen a head coach for a men's league team, but Ty's a head coach. Oh, it's great. I actually, I actually showed up in the full suit coat the one game. I was standing behind the bench. Apparently, both teams came out before the Zamboni doors closed, so we had to take uh, incidental minors, and they come out to me, like, you're obviously the coach. Who do you want to get in the uh, box first? They go, uh... <laughs> Who the fuck wants to sit down for two minutes? This is pointless. What's like, the team what? talk like? <laughs> dental, like, just wipe him off. Like, what the hell? Yeah. The uh, uh, like, You're right. But they said, right. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, apparently, there's a, there's a league at Harbor Because I broke it a couple times, too. Because I'll get out there yeah. and I'll try and stretch while the boner's on. Um, just to get my stretch in before we start warm-up. And uh, they, they instituted a rule where you have to uh, – Two-minute penalty. You have to stay – Yeah, two-minute penalty now if you get on the ice while the, boni, while the boner's still on. Yeah. I mean, that's just, you know, I get why you're a little excited for a game, but that's, I mean, I remember that rule from when I was a kid. Yeah. I, I didn't even know then. it was a rule because I used to do it all the time up until Harbor, like uh, the Harbor Center. Uh, I didn't know it was a rule. Um, cause I used right. to do it. I used to do it growing up too, but yeah, it is what it is. <laughs> right. Um, I, I just think the refs didn't care enough. They make call the, call the penalty, I guess. And now a word from our sponsor. This episode of Two Goals on Mike is brought to you by Better Biscuit. Don't just play, play hockey better. The Better Biscuit pucks will simulate the feeling of on ice when practicing off ice. You have the option of two different pucks, the sniper and the passer. Guys, this is an unbelievable product, especially right now in quarantine. We don't have the ability to be on the ice, so you have to get your, uh, you know, practice your skills off the ice you have the option of two different pucks they also uh, have a relationship with easy goal another great product of theirs and right now if you use the promo code cust77 all in capital letters you get 10 percent off your t- entire order um, they can be found at betterbiscuit.net or on social media their twitter handle is better underscore biscuit same thing for Instagram, better underscore biscuit, and just search better biscuit on Facebook. Uh, better biscuit. Don't just play, play hockey better. Back to the show. Also here to talk about your career. Um, you know, most people here in Buffalo, at least in uh, my age, my age group, uh, remember yeah. you for that infamous, that infamous tilt you had with Gar Snow and Rick Jarnard losing his fucking mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I lost my know. mind too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, with, 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 you know, with NHL goalie, tough guy, Garth Snow. Uh, right. but you had yourself quite a career, man. You really did. Uh, you know, and, uh, you had, you had some of your best time, your best numbers with San Jose. You played with a little bit with the Bruins, the Panthers and the Thrashers after that, but, uh, yeah. you had yourself quite a career. And, uh, um, I want to start honestly with your time at Michigan because you had quite the fucking career with the first, you know, first with goalie Michigan, with hundred career wins. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. It's interesting though, that nobody knew about this win, like nobody knew about the NCAA goalie win record back in the mid nineties when I graduated. It's funny because I actually found the record. Um, I was, when I, when I went to school here, I used to be a grounds crew keeper at the baseball field in the summer for my summer job. And as one of our duties, we would get sent over to different buildings. If they were going to paint the building, the inside of an office, we would go and help clean it out, move the files. So we ended up, they were doing a renovation. And we, me and a couple of the other workers, we ended up in the basement of the athletic department going through a bunch of old stats. 
and I just happened upon a goalie win stat record. And it was yeah. the NCAA record for most victories as a goalie. So I remember I grabbed it. I gave it to our sports information director. And then I broke this record the next season. Like, <laughs> and so even to this day, I kind of laugh whenever it's mentioned because I found it. If I wouldn't have found that paperwork, I don't think anybody would have ever cared or realized. Yeah. It's only now. And then only after Marty Turco broke my yeah. record you know, four years later, you know, now it's a big deal that, you know, now Marty has this record, but, you know, I really deserve the thanks for it because if it wasn't for me, nobody would even know who had these records. <laughs> but I actually I'd uh, found that funny that, you know, and I never really told anybody that I found that stuff out myself, <laughs> but yeah. I'm committed that way. Are you, uh, do you ever correspond with Marty Turco at all? Oh yeah, I see Marty. He's Marty comes in and out of Ann Arbor a couple times a year at least um, for either our annual alumni outings or he's got friends in town. And one of our other assistant coaches, Bill McCult here at Michigan, is uh, was in Marty's class and they were roommates. So Marty and I stay in touch, and he's he's around quite a bit. He lives down in Dallas now, but he's you know he's a guy that's never really left Michigan. He comes back whenever, you know, he can yeah. and spends time and, you know, he's a really good friend of the program. Yeah. I, uh, I actually reached out to Marty. Uh, I can't remember if it was on Twitter or Instagram uh, about coming on the show too. So you, we, uh, two goalies, one like me and Ty and Cully, we need you to get in his ear, tell him how much fun you had with us and get in his ear and tell him to come on the show with us sometime in the oh, future. Oh, what, Turks didn't answer you? That doesn't surprise no, he me. Answered, I'll, no, I'll, he I'll answered, give him a he, poke for you. He answered, he answered, but he said uh, he's got a lot going on. He didn't blow it off or anything, but he said, reach back out to him in a few weeks and we'll see if we can set something up. So make sure you poke that bear for us and let You're us know. You're the only uh, guy on the planet with a lot going on during quarantine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, awesome. You know, but um, yeah, those four years, and I, you know, I'm a yeah. big advocate as far as development of goalies, and especially at the college rank. Um, I, I, I truly believe. Um, you know, especially like I said, when you play in college, you play your entire four years, develop as much as you can before you kind of try and come to the professional level, which is what you did. And I look at your numbers, man. I'm surprised you made it to the fifth round. I'm surprised you didn't take you were there for Buffalo to take in the in the fifth round because you had quite yourself quite the career at Michigan, man. You had some great well, numbers. Had, yeah, in fact, then you know when you my numbers were okay, probably for uh, you know in that era. Um, you know, playing my first year here, I got drafted after my freshman year. So I probably, I wasn't really a known commodity before that, um, you know, and after it's all said and done, I'm not even sure how many goalies out of that draft ended up playing, but I was probably around where I deserved to be all things considered. Um, mm -hmm. You know, and the, the thing that's interesting is when I got drafted back then uh, by Don Luce, who was the, uh, Thomas. He was either the, you know, he was either player personnel director or the scouting director or something like that. Now his grandkid just graduated from Michigan. So I had Griffin loose for four years here at Michigan, which was pretty cool. And I actually worked for, uh, for Don Luce's son, Scott Luce with the Florida Panthers as well. So uh, it was interesting that the guy that drafted me, I never really talked to him. You know, nowadays a team drafts a player and they're in their life. 
you know, they, they're involved. They're going to give you advice. They're going to be in touch. You're going to go to development camp. Back then I got drafted by Buffalo and I'll never forget the phone call I got like two weeks later that said, Hey, yeah, we drafted you. Um, yeah, good luck. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> that was so, it. so, so you weren't even informed the day you were drafted. You found out two weeks later. Well, I found out that I found out the next day because my my dad came and picked me up at Michigan the day of the draft. We drove back to North Bay, Ontario, and my girlfriend who was living in Toronto, who also went to Michigan, somehow found out, and I don't know how she found out, that I was drafted by the Buffalo Sabres. So she called the house at like midnight, and when I got home from Michigan, my girlfriend let my mom know, I believe, that I was drafted. And then my mom let me know. So that's, <laughs> I, how, I find so, that, that's how it used to go down. That's so wild to me because it's like, you know, I, I guess, you know, I kind of grew up in the age of social media and cell phones where, you know, information mm-hmm. gets you like that. And, yeah. you know, I'm not thinking back back in, you know, uh, I believe you were drafted in 91, that, that that type of, you know, communication wasn't available really. Pretty much, if you're not by your phone once you're drafted, that you're not going to find out pretty much. And could you imagine, Ty, like, like hearing a voicemail on your like your, your landline on your answer machine? Oh, yeah. Hey, uh, this is Don Lewis. Just want to let you know, uh, represent the Buffalo Sabres. We just, yeah, we just something that's like you. the biggest day of your life to find out. <laughs> yeah, that. it's absolutely that's wild. Absolutely well, amazing for it to have happened that way. But things are continuously I think I got a letter. in that process. I think what, what, it came in a letter. Actually, it came in a letter. I think I got a box, no jersey back then either. You had to be at the draft to get a jersey. And, and they probably cut it off after the second round. But I remember I got a T-shirt, a couple hats, some pins, maybe a lanyard, and a letter. Ooh, lanyard. And that it's was like that. going to freshman orientation at college. Yeah, it wasn't even – it was not even a big deal. Like, it was – yeah, I was drafted, but – Nobody really cared. Like, yeah, biggest, so biggest moment me, of your life. Yeah. That's to me, of- the big difference is now somebody gets drafted. Now there's these assumptions and expectations, Yeah, you know, which for me were terrible back then. So I, I just really feel for the kids now who are, you know, who are getting drafted where even the drafted guys, it's, you know, it's next to impossible to make it as a professional athlete, but all of a sudden now these expectations are so big and, yeah, you know, which is one of the downsides of social media for young athletes. It is. But right now the NCAA is uh, going to be changing some of their policies where even some of your own student athletes will be able to profit from their likeness. How do you yes. think, you know, throwing that into the mix with everything sort of changes everything and, do you think it can sort of persuade a lot of these guys, at least the young American players who have traditionally gone over to the CHL to actually pursue the NCAA, knowing that they can actually, you know, set themselves up with a little bit of money while also being able to get themselves that education to fall back on? Well, it's interesting just because, you know, from probably the last 20 years has been, you know, there's probably, I don't know how many Americans are play, playing that major junior in Canada. But the numbers skyrocketed probably right around the mid-90s. You know, but back then the debate was always major junior was the fastest way to the NHL. 
And, mm -hmm. but ever, you know, ever since probably for the last 15 years, the narrative has started to change. And now it's to the point where, because player development is such a big word, big phrase nowadays, and it means so much. And, you know, it's what people think these young players need is development and actually not so many games, but more practice, more becoming an individual and getting to, you know, being a better person and, uh, and growing as a human and being able to self-evaluate yourself and all these things. Well, that's what college is all about. And, you know, so when you put the money aside, now I think for some athletes, the ability to make money on your image and likeness will be a big deal. Uh, I don't mm -hmm. think for 95 to 99% of them, it'll be an issue at all. Uh, I never found it to be a reason why people would go to play junior because I believe if you're playing major junior, you might get a couple hundred bucks every few weeks. Uh, yep. If that, you know, they're not, you know, but they're considered pros in college, you know, who knows what's going to happen. I mean, when you put football and basketball in the same group of sports as everything else, and then you try to figure out, like really who's the amateur really who's doing what and is it equal or should we be getting paid and you know uh, it's so confusing even to somebody like me who wants everyone to have the opportunity to create a life for themselves and if you're working make income mm -hmm. I don't even know where I stand I'm yep. pretty much day-to-day -day on this stuff as well sometimes it's like well yeah let the kids do whatever they can do or transfer make money do this but you know, on the flip side, there's, you know, there's a tons of other, there's a lot of other things to consider, uh, you know, such as, at the, you know, the worst would be if it does just become all about money, are we still going to have as many sports and as many student athletes being able to participate and get yeah. that college experience? So it's a very tough and confusing time. I mean, for student athletes, it's crazy. Like the amount of just bandwidth they need nowadays just to process their own life is so much more than what it used to be when I was, you know, a player or active. Yeah, that is, that, that it's pretty wild, man. Um, I mean, Ty is a little more informed on that than I am. Um, but I think that will, you know, being able to profit off your likeness will probably will steer more players into going to, the college route rather than the major, the junior route. Uh, yeah. I don't think you know. there's big money in it for any, college hockey player necessarily because you're not you're not you know at the name of a Connor mcdavid even like unless you're yeah. someone who's at that stature there's not going to be any you know big money but you can you can you know supplement yourself to be able to get you know maybe a couple hundred dollars a month that you know you can put towards food or you know upgrading some of your equipment or doing some other things like that you know um rather than necessarily just trying to you know make money to buy clothes mm -hmm. and jewelry or whatever else so hopefully you know most of them are doing it in a more positive way um and understanding that they are themselves you know a business they are you know their own tool to make money when you're an athlete so um which is really you know, they important. all steer into the right direction yeah, yeah, which is really it. important because i had no idea about that when i was younger even as a pro about you know you're a business, you're your own entity. And, you know, and at the end of the day, it's not about how you feel in terms of, I want to give it my best every day. And I just want to win. Like there's, 
the reality is there's a lot more to think about for guys. And the money is, the money is so much bigger now that, you know, that players, you know, they, they do have to think of it like that as a business. And if you wait too long to do it, it's hard to catch up later on. And I would much, I would much rather teach the guys about things I didn't know and give them an opportunity to leverage their career uh, while they can, because as you guys know, it can be very, very short. So when you get that opportunity, you got to pounce on it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like, uh, like, like you said, like, uh, unless you're probably at the eye level of, like I say, a Connor McDavid or even like with Jack Eichel when he was in Boston, um, yeah. who knows yeah. how much money there's a profit. And I think as far as like your likeness is concerned from like, maybe a video game standpoint, I think like that, you know, I think the big money as far as sports goes would probably be more along the lines of like say basketball or football, yeah. not so much hockey. Um, but I mean, that's just an advantage, I guess, now that I think maybe the players are entitled to because they are, their likeness is being used. So, um, right. But, you know, I, 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 I personally don't think you give yourself enough credit when you say, you, you know, you know, looking back at your stats, Steve, um, as far as, you know, how well, how good of a goaltender you were for Michigan. I mean, you never had a double digit loss season. You, you're always in the single digits. You had a 30-win yeah. win, 30 win season under your belt, 27-26. Uh, that fourth year, were you hurt? Why? How many wins did I have? Um, it just, it's just it, – it, I mean, I'm on, you know, on HockeyDB.com. You know, looking back, it only has you – it doesn't have you for playing any games. I don't know if that's a mistake or not. But What year is that? No, I, had, I played four years. First yeah, and that, year was probably 90 That's what I figured because – yeah, you were yeah you were you were uh, a hundred a hundred a hundred win goalie and uh, um, they're just not showing they're honestly online they're not showing the stats for your fourth year of college but um, but yeah it was says, uh, huh it was pretty consistent we were we had such a good team and and did I play my part yeah I mean <clears throat> was I very good then no I never had a goalie coach then in college like there was it for the most part was you know, you had to figure it out on your own. Um, mm -hmm. But everybody was in that boat. You know, I competed. That's the way I stopped the puck. Um, and I guess, you know, as I look back, the more time I spend with these young guys that play goal, the, the worse I get. Because these guys are so good now that – Oh, yeah. When I look at a kid that's in college now, we have a couple of goalies here at Michigan – they're so much better than I was now granted. Like I'm one of these guys that believes that, you know, the, the position should get better and forward should get better over time. I mean, they just have so much more information and they're trained so much more specifically, but to mm -hmm. watch these guys. And then I look back and I really, when you watch yourself and you kind of, you date yourself, it is sometimes a little bit weird. Like when you watch and you know, like, how did I, how did you feel when you used to watch players from the seventies and eighties? Yeah. I'm like, Oh, my players feel like that about me. So I think yeah, that's it, why, you know, you, you pretty much get, you get humbled to a degree when you're in the sport and you continue to stay in it when people can look back at your history and say, the mm -hmm. only thing they don't bug me about is the fighting. <laughs> no, they don't bug you about the fighting. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, you look back at yeah. Obviously, after your college career, you uh, you went to Rochester after being drafted by the Sabers, and yep. 
Um, was that your first year that 96, that 96 season where you guys went and won the Calder cup? That was my second. Second. Okay. 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 Cause yeah. uh, you know, I'm looking, I, I look at, I look at that roster, man. And I, I see a lot of familiar names on that roster as far as the Sabres fans goes. But what was it like, man, that, that run you guys had in 96, uh, making it all the way to the Calder cup finals and eventually winning. And I, I believe it was in seven games, if I'm, uh, but yeah, I believe it seven. was against Portland, maybe. Yeah. Very yep, trust. Yep. And very trust. And, you know, no big deal. Your coach was John Tortorella. John Tortorella. Yeah, Sports it was baby. great. It was such a great experience. Uh, and Rochester is such a great place and such a great place to have a minor league team. I mean, there's so many other worse places you could be as somebody who's young and is a professional and, you know, you want to be in a place that's good and a place that's fun to be in. As far as minor league hockey goes, Rochester's, you know, got to be near the tops. I mean, the support was mm -hmm. great. They sort, I think Rochester sort of, you know, they take ownership in that team in the sense of the community yep. likes it as Rochester, not Buffalo's minor league team. Correct. Um, you know, and I believe that was the year that uh, the NHL was on strike or there was a lot, there was another lockout that year where, you know, there was a, you know, like guys like Matt Barnaby and Brian Holzinger who ended up being Buffalo Sabres players, Dixon Ward, Curtis Brown, those guys all got sent to Rochester and, you know, where typically a couple of them would probably been up in the NHL. So it was, mm -hmm. it was a great experience. The only, the only downside I remember was our season went, longer than the NHL. The NHL, they were locked out or there was something that happened that made the NHL season ended up like their playoffs ended and we still had games to play in the American League. And, you know, it was the middle of June and like my goalie partner, John Blue, was getting married a week after John the season. Blue. Like everybody was just dying to get out of town. I mean, I think Doug Huda showed up in the whole last <laughs> round There's a name. game with his trailer. Like, on his car, ready, to, ready go. to go home, you know. And then we <laughs> won it. We had the parade the next day at, like, 8 in the morning. Oh, my God. Gone. And now a word from our sponsor. This episode of Two Goalies, One Mike is brought to you by Mitt's Barbershop, located at 3461 Genesee Street in Cheetahwaga, New York. Guys, we've all gotten that tacky $20 haircut from Schmooper Cuts where we walk out of the building and we're like, wow, that really just wasn't worth the $20 I just paid. Well, I can assure you from experience, it's worth every penny at Mitt's Barbershop. I've gotten my hair cut there multiple times. I've walked away a happy customer every time. Not to mention, it's a very chill atmosphere. He always has beers on tap in the fridge ready to go. Video games on the TV, sports memorabilia and posters all over the walls. Not to mention, Justin and his staff are as professional as it gets. They'll make you feel right at home there at Mitt's Barbershop. I can't stress this enough, guys. When this quarantine is over, get there, schedule an appointment, get your ears lowered like I have to. My head is an absolute mop. I cannot wait to get a hold of Justin and schedule an appointment once this is all done and over with. Mitt's Barbershop, guys. Find him on Instagram, all one word, at Mitt's Barbershop. Same thing on Facebook. Please, I urge you guys, reach out to him. Make an appointment. And if you mention that two goalies, one Mike sent you, $5 off your haircut, guys. You can't go wrong. You can't go wrong. What are you waiting for? 
I mean, we're about to enter phase one of reopening. Get a hold of Justin. He's taking appointments now. Mention two goalies, one Mike. Five bucks off your haircut. I mean, how many times I got to repeat myself? Mitt's Barbershop. Go. Back to the show. Qu- question for that parade. Obviously, at the, mor- the, the following morning, were you guys all in the bag from the night before pretty much, you know, just celebrating? I have to imagine. Yeah, I can't imagine yeah. Barney was sleeping. Yeah, right. there's no way he no, was no, sleeping. No. no, we stayed up, went right there. I think I rode the Zamboni through town. <laughs> it was great. It was awesome. It was a great experience. And I think it was really great for the organization because, you know, a couple of years later, Buffalo, a lot of those players were contributing in Buffalo and had been really good players with great roles on a playoff team. And I think it really helped. But, yeah, I mean, you know, when you're in the minors, it's, you know, you're really learning how to be a pro in terms of how do you yeah. manage all this freedom with having to show up at yep. the rink, especially when your coach is John Tortorella. You know, <laughs> oh, my God. Back then Torts. Torts. Was, was, not... he, was, was he as outspoken then as he, was, as he is now? Well, I think he punched a fan. <laughs> back then, back then, you you know, so he wasn't doing that much talking. It was more physical. I have a, I have a Tortorella story though. So, oh, here we go. I can't fire me up, baby. <clears throat> Torts and I, when I turned pro, I wasn't really, I wasn't ready in terms of. I didn't know the position that well. And when I got to Buffalo, Mitch Korn, who's uh, one of the all-time great goalie coaches, uh, yeah. you're, you're was a child my coach. Korn. Right. Well, Mitch's line, like if, if, you, if Mitch ever talks about me, he will repeatedly say, Steve Shields was the least prepared goalie to turn pro that I've ever coached. Like, <laughs> and he says that to this day. Um, and I still love him. But he wasn't wrong. So my first year I get sent all the I get sent down to South Carolina to the East Coast League. And back then, you didn't get sent down to the East Coast League and make it back. They just yeah. I was probably the first goalie. I mean, Ole Kolzig went down for a weekend, I believe, and played a couple games in the coast, but there were no goalies that were sent to the East Coast League and made it to the NHL. Yeah. Um, and Mitch, you know, and I did that. But so anyways, my second year, Tortorella is the coach, you know, and he's very, very intense. And back then it was like an all day, every day thing. And, you know, and I always played better for coaches like that. I just wasn't that good. Like, so the first half of the season, I wasn't very good. And we were playing in Adirondack on New Year's Eve. And uh, the game was tied. It was 4-4. There was like a five seconds to go and somebody on their team it might have been marty lapointe took a slap shot from the other end of the ice and i lost it and it got down to me and it hit me on the shoulder and it and the horn goes so i start laughing you know like what else are you gonna do it's like oh thank god well <laughs> i get back to the bench and i could just see that torches eyeballing me you know like he's right lasered on me so I go back out for overtime and no shit like 30 seconds in somebody's behind the net 
they go to chip it out front. And my D man, I think it was, uh, I think it was uh, Roman Endor, uh, turned around, yep. whacked it in the net on me. Okay, so boom, there we go. New Year's, we were winning the game, lose it in overtime. So I start skating off the ice, and I glimpse back at the bench, and Tortorella's on the bench just going crazy. And I start skating. I'm like, oh, damn, something's going down. You know, thank God, the, you know, the attention's off me. Well, I didn't realize until I got like 10 feet away. He's yelling at me. Like, <laughs> he was chirping me still. I mean, so I turn around. I go off the ice. I gear down, you know, getting ready to jump in the shower. I got my towel on, and the trainer comes in and says, Torch wants to see you in his office. You know, just a <laughs> side room in Adirondack. So I go into the office. I just have a towel on. You know, Torts isn't my height. I mean, he's, you know, he's, I don't know how tall he is, but he's not 6'3". Well, he walks up to me, and he just starts giving it to me. Like, you know, I'm not good, yada, yada, I suck. <laughs> and then he says, and then I just stand there. I don't know what to say. Now I'm sweating in my towel. And he says, don't you have anything to say to me? And he's yelling it at me, right? And so I turned to him. I'm like, yeah, I'd like to put your head through that wall right now. <laughs> and I'm thinking with Joe, like, I, I'm thinking, like, this is, you know, one of these Chaotic. moments, right? Well, Torts walks right up to me, and he puts his finger into my chest, and he just looks at me. He goes, make a move, asshole. <laughs> He is ready to go. He was ready to go. I'll never forget oh. standing there going, my career's over. Like it, it was really it, like, I couldn't believe that was happening in the moment. Like, and, and I've always understood now why guys can lose it because torts lost it. I lost it. And now I'm scared that my career's over. You know, because he's right. I wasn't playing well. But the best thing about Torch is we got onto the bus, and I used to sit near the front. And about 10 minutes into the bus ride, he, wa he comes over, and I'm lying down, and I'm not feeling good. He drops two beers on my chest. <laughs> and, he, <laughs> and he's like, uh, sorry about that. We're good. Like. <laughs> And so I went into his office Monday morning after New Year's and he just started laughing when I went in. And just the, the feeling I got from Torch then was, was so unbelievable. And we went on to win the Calder Cup. I, I, you know, it really helped me. I was, he pushed hard, but I became one of the better goalies in the league the second half of the year. One in, and Torch and I have been good ever since. Like I really look back and love my time with him. And he's, you know, he's a competitor, but I would rather play for competitors that call you out if they're going to, you know, when it's all said and done, you can trust that they still have your back. And you know what? He had my back and it was great. Man, I want to get a Steve Shields jersey now that doesn't have your name on the back. It just has to make a move, asshole. <laughs> oh, my God. It was so bad. Oh, my God. That's amazing. You know, I, I yeah. think when I think of Tortorella, I always think, you know, obviously outside of that amazing cup run he had with Tampa, 
uh, when it comes to quotes and stuff, I always think about that Panera, that interview about Panera, whether they're questioning why he wasn't in the lineup. And he's like, you know what? He was shit in his pants. What do you want? <laughs> no, all I'm going to think about is. Yeah, he's doing whatever he can to stand up for his te- for his players. Yeah. Like, that's that's but, exactly what you want in a coach and someone who's going to enable you to be your best and show you at all times. Yeah. You're gonna believe oh, you absolutely. Push you to that extra extra level. Yeah. That, that's, he, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. To me, I, he's. I just, to me, he's just a—he's a really great coach, and when you talk to him off the ice, it's—he's another man. Like it's a different guy, but he's—he's he's a family guy. He, you know, you can talk to him. He cares about you. He takes an interest in you. And I, you know, like I never have had anything bad to say about Torts. And when I did, I, you know, at least we said it to each other's face. <laughs> you still ever uh, correspond with him at all? Well, we were in, uh, when he was, I was, uh, we played in Columbus a couple years ago and we played at uh, the Blue Jackets Arena. I went in, sat down, uh, chatted for a little while. So whenever I see him, I correspond. But, you know, in hockey, you you know, you see everybody around at some point. Oh, yeah. Um, But, no, it's great. It was really good. It was awesome. Yeah. From that from that final year, that Calder Cup run, I get I, all I could not, not forever. I'm gonna think about just small John Tortorella putting his finger <laughs> in your chest and make a move, asshole, and then go oh, to you, you you driving a Zamboni, possibly drunk <laughs> through the streets of Rochester. <laughs> that reminds me of uh, you've seen Mystery Alaska, right, Steve? I wasn't driving it; I was probably just riding it. Oh, but have you have you seen that movie, uh, Mystery Alaska? Of course. At all? Frank Azaria driving through the streets of mystery at the truck on the Zamboni. Oh right. my God! What are you gonna yeah. do, John? Arrest you for drug Zamboni? <laughs> Take <laughs> right. me in, John. Take me in. Yeah. Oh my That's God! Probably what it was. But you know, from that from that '96 season and that 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 playoff run all the way to that Game Seven where you where you guys close it out against Portland, like you know, uh, you know, just give us. Uh, uh, give us some insight on what that was like, you know, being able to you know win that championship with that roster. Like you said, Brian Holzinger, Dixon Ward, Wayne Primu, uh, a lot of faces that Sabres fans would remember from, you know, back yeah. in the 90s, you know, that contributed to that 99 Cup team. Well, the, um, thing that, the thing that sticks with me the most is just uh, how great it is, like, and how much you grow as a teammate and as a team in those times. Because – you know, Torch, one of the things that, that I really loved about Torch was once the playoffs started, before every round, he would order us lunch. We would all go into the, to the you know, the, whatever room he had, uh, you know, probably the day or two days before it started. And we would be in a, tea, in a meeting, but it wasn't like a regular team meeting. It was everybody, you know, having lunch everybody sort of equal towards sitting down and saying, okay, what are we going to do about this team? Like, and it was a different approach where when everybody left the room before the round, it felt different to the point where like in the playoffs, you never look back. It's just always forward, no matter what. And there were games in that playoff run. I think I started off like, I want to say we win the first, like, I think we were up two nothing in the final round before. I mean, we might have lost one game or two games in the third round, but we won our first ten games. You never look back at when I played poorly. It was really the first coach where it was 
that doesn't matter. It's just the next game. Mm -hmm. Like that's what he was. And the interesting thing for me was I was a very nervous player. I never really, I never felt like the game was never fun for me uh, in that sense as a goalie. You guys, you know, you know what it's like. It's nerve wracking. I mean, mm -hmm. I'm the kind of guy that worries about what's going to happen when I, this goal goes in, you know, yeah, that's a tough way to play. But in the playoffs, you know, because it was late into the spring, everybody wants to go home. And, you know, we ended up having this loose locker room where we would just go around the room before games and guys, you know, would tell different jokes or, you know, do something that would totally alter the vibe in the room. And that's the one thing I never forgot about that is that I was so much more relaxed because we were such a better team together. Mm -hmm. And that's like, you know, as I moved on with coaching and I do player development, it's, it's to me like the one thing that we've sort of, you know, lost a little bit of. And that's just like, you know, how close you are as a team and how much you trust each other and how much you guys and how much guys care it makes such a huge difference that it's just, it's overshadowed now by, you know, skill development and, you know, individual players' performances. Like, it's amazing you know, what a team can do when they play like that. And that to me is, you know, was the great thing about that, about that year. And Rochester as a city was, everybody was invested in it. It was great. Like it was probably one of the highlights of my hockey career. Really? That's, yeah. I, I uh, like I said, like, you know, being able to hoist that trophy, um, have that moment. I mean, I, again, I, I don't blame you, man. That has, I mean, that's probably right up there with getting drafted by the Sabres, obviously. I mean, I can't imagine what that feeling's like because I never got to that level, and neither did my co-host, uh, you know, Johnny Cullen. But, um, you know, looking back on those years, is there a, like a particular moment that you, that you remember that, you, that, you, that you're, you're very fond of or just something that, you, you, you know, you, you, that makes, you, makes it all worth it other than, like, obviously other than, you know, winning that Calder Cup? You want to know the moment I realized I made it to the NHL was I got uh, – so I played my second year in Rochester. We won the Calder Cup. <laughs> you know, Mitch Korn and I had a plan. You know, Mitch has got plans. So um, he used to tell me when I was in the East Coast League, like, you know, this is the way it's going to happen. Don't even think about the NHL. You have to do this, become a goalie in the East Coast League then be a starter in the coast, then help your team in the American league and then take your American league team on a run and then, you know, win a Calder cup or, you know, then become an all-star, then, you know, become the best goalie. that's not in the NHL. And then when you do that, then maybe you'll get a chance at the NHL. So we went through all these steps and I was a worker. I learned how to work. And, uh, you know, for me, I got called up at Christmas. The other, the backup goalie, Andre, Andre Trefiloff, was going to go in and get uh, shoulder surgery. So he was out for the season. And they must have thought I was ready to, to be up there and back up uh, Dominic. And one of the first days I was there, when in Buffalo, you know, we used to uh, get dressed uh, at, uh, what's the rink called right now? Uh, the Key Bank Center. Okay, well, it used to be uh, Marine Midland, right, when it yep. was first built. Yep. Well, we used to have to get dressed there, grab our big bags and our pads, put them on the bus, and then they would uh, bus us out uh, somewhere in Amherst, right? Like, yep. you know, we did that. Well, 
the first time I ever did it, I packed my bag. I had my pants on. I had all this crap over my shoulder. And I felt my bag get pulled from behind when I picked it up. And it was Dom. And I really hadn't even talked to Dom that much at all. But he pulled my bag off my shoulder. And he waves his finger in front of my face. He goes, no. Like, what? <laughs> and he yelled over at George Babcock, who's one of the locker room guys. Uh, Still there. And he, right. George, Steve, no carry. No carry. <laughs> so here I am, my second day there. I'm just walking with Dom out to the car. You know, and for nowadays it would seem like that's, you know, the way it should be. But back then it wasn't like that. I mean, you carried your bag. But, you know, Dom was amazing that whatever perk he got in that sense, his partner got. So all the other players carried their stuff, had to grind. Dom and I, geez, I think we got in another car too. Like, <laughs> I, I don't think we had to ride. I think we could leave early. And, you know, Dom just walks in, puts his skates on. It's all laid out for him. Mine too. It was amazing. <laughs> like, and that's when I really realized, wow, this is the big deal. You're you know? like part of Dom's entourage. <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> speak, that's speak, exactly speak what it became. Make sure you're on the lookout for part two of the Steve Shields interview coming later this week where we get into the entire Garth Snow fight as well as many other moments from Steve's NHL career. Hi, I'm Logan Anderson, host of the Say the Damn Score podcast. On my show, I deep dive into the sports broadcasting business by, you guessed it, talking to sportscasters. The show has featured big names like Bob Costas, Kenny Albert, and Vern Lundquist, as well as many up-and-coming broadcasters who you may not know yet, but you will know soon. Whether you're looking for professional development as a sportscaster, different career paths, or if you just want to be entertained by hearing some of the best storytellers in the world tell their own stories, this podcast is for you. You can subscribe to the podcast on all major podcast platforms, or you can visit our website, saythedamnscore.com. The Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jagged Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundle from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network.